Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I am Patrick Beeman. I am an OBGYN, one of the co-founders of Inside the Boards, and a rapidly diminishing host of this podcast. Here today I have Pranay Bonagiri. He is a graduate of the University of Virginia where he studied, believe it or not, biology and is currently a fourth-year medical student at Tarot University in COVID-racked California, where at least I hope the weather is still nice. Is that correct? Well, I'm actually on the East Coast right now. I'm, I'm back home visiting my family. All right. Yeah. Never mind. Hopefully <laughs> the weather's nice there too. So we have him here being the dedicated medical student that he is and being committed to the success of his fellow students and underclassmen. He's going to be joining us on the ITB podcast over the next year, I guess, um, year-ish academic year to be one of the hosts. So Pranay, thank you so much for being willing to volunteer your time and being willing to, you know, help people learn on the go and teach some stuff that I don't have time to, or I frankly don't remember. Thanks for inviting me, Patrick, and having me join the team. Yeah, I, I really liked podcasts this past year during rotation. So, you know, what'd you listen to? I listened to like a wide variety of things. I tried to mix it up between, you know, my classic medical podcasts, I guess, and also like, you know, podcasts that would keep me up with like the news and sports and just anything I found interesting on the like Apple Podcasts app, to be honest. You know, yeah. if I read the description and sounded interesting, I would add it to the list. What's a good medical one? Medical one? Well, if I haven't mentioned it before, I'm pretty inter- interested in internal medicine. So I really liked the Curbsiders podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I had a decently long commute to my IM rotation. So it was good to like just refresh whatever topic we were going over that week by listening to it on the way to the, the hospital. So Yeah, totally. Like Curbsiders. Cool. Nice. What about non-medical? Non-medical? I would say the ones I listen to the most right now are the Daily, the New York Times podcast. It, it's really, honestly, the best way I keep up to date with my news right now. There's always yeah, so much coming out. Totally. And then my favorite like joke podcast or like non-serious podcast is part of my take. It's, it's more of a sports podcast and they just discuss current events and they have a good, you know, comedic feel to it. So it's very lighthearted. Yeah, we got to do that more with this show. Make it more <laughs> hilarious. So we've been talking uh, a little bit about kind of the future directions and the, the content that you'd like to cover during your tenure as one of our hosts at large. We talked about doing something related to video games and behavioral addictions, and, and you had mentioned during that exchange that you're into video games. So <laughs> another question about you, what video games do you like? And do you have time to play them? Because I remember when I got my tax return when I was a fourth year, um, I immediately went out and bought an Xbox and spent, I like just binged it for binge played, I don't know, like a couple of weeks and then didn't touch it again for like nine months and then binged another game for a week or two. And, and so it goes. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. That's how it's been for me a little too. 
if anything, this binge has been a little longer because of quarantine. So it's less, <laughs> less class time and rotation time. So any free time I get, I, I end up playing video games. I think my go-to games right now is really Call of Duty, to be honest. It's, I like the competitiveness and a lot of my friends from high school and college play it. So it's really a good way for me to like, you know, keep up with them and keep in touch, especially since I'm on the West Coast and most of them are still on the East Coast. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. And classic. I, I mean, I, I like Call of Duty. I'm always going to go back to Call of Duty Black Ops, the zombies maps. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. my son just uh, turned 13 not too long ago and finally we're kind of letting him play those types of games. <laughs> Don't judge me um, if people disagree with that. But I, I get to play with him. He he lives with his mom. We haven't quite got on online yet, but we we spent a pretty. I mean, we yeah, basically spent the whole last weekend just playing zombies. And happy to report that you know, I pretty much creamed him in terms <laughs> of points. So so um you know maybe we should do Twitch. We should have like an inside the boards Twitch. No, that would be cool. We could uh, have a little competition. Yeah, there you go. So Patrick, it's it's great to have you on here. Uh, oh, so really, thank you. great to be here. Great. To be here. <laughs> so I really just wanted to discuss a pretty like what I considered a high yield topic on step two. It's a pretty simple topic in terms of medical school material, but I think it's easy to get the questions confused if you don't have a good way to think about the you know diagnosis, treatment, and management of this uh, disease process. So the topic I picked today was pleural effusions. I think. Everyone knows about pleural effusions and they've heard about them, but sorry. Not everyone's heard them on uh, auscultation. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard it on my IM rotation. It was, it was actually cool, really cool to hear as opposed to just, you know, reading about it on UWorld. <laughs> right. So should we just jump right in and start hey, talking it's up about to you. questions? Yeah, let's do it. So I'll start with this first question. So... A 75-year-old female with a 50-pack year history of tobacco use presents with a two-week history of worsening dyspnea on exertion. She has had a dry cough, but no fever, night sweats, or chills. Her neck shows no jugular venous distension. Her heart tones are distant, but regular without murmurs. A lung exam reveals a right lower lung dullness to percussion and decreased breath sounds. A chest radiograph shows a pleural effusion, but no infiltrates or lymphadenopathy. Laboratory studies are normal. What is the appropriate next step in management? We have four answer choices. A is broad-spectrum antibiotics, B, CT scan of the chest, C, bronchoscopy, or D, thoracentesis. So this question, in my view, is a pretty straightforward question. Is just asking the next step in management of a pleural effusion. You already have uh, radiographic evidence of it. So for me, the best answer would be D, thoracentesis. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dr. Beeman? So if I were to read this question back in the day, I'd probably go through the vignette and be like, okay, 75-year-old lady, huge smoker. Chief issue is she's having more and more trouble breathing in the past couple weeks. And then on exam, the big positive finding is heart tones are distant. And lung auscultations got dullness to percussion focally at the right lower lung fields. And then it says straight up, she's got a pleural effusion, no infiltrates or lymphadenopathy in normal laboratory. So I'm thinking, all right, what's the diagnosis here? 
Honestly, I, I think that I would probably get myself into a bit of a tangle trying to be like, well, okay, what is the diagnosis here? Okay, if she's got this, maybe she's got pneumonia. Uh, maybe she's got like a, uh, you know, they mentioned this ridiculous smoking history. So she's probably got lung cancer. So how do you treat lung cancer? Well, I guess I'd want to know more information on imaging. So I, honestly, I don't know how I would walk through this except to say, I'd go through the answer choices because I really don't know what is the actual diagnosis had I just read this and not known that we're discussing plural effusions today. <laughs> <laughs> so the broad spectrum antibiotics was the first choice. I think I'd be pretty convinced that this was like a uh, pneumonia and I'd really want to pick that one. I think I'd be tempted by choice B, which was CT of the chest. If I were starting to think like, oh, maybe this is just like a lung cancer. And then bronchoscopy, I probably wouldn't pick, but just because I don't, I can't think of ways in which it is used regularly, I guess, besides like extracting toys from the uh, carina of little kids. And in thoracentesis, I'm like, well, that sounds legit, but it seems like so hardcore over getting a CT first. So I don't know, man. I'd, I think I'd be kind of confused and I'd be guessing on this one, to be honest. Like, so how should I think about it? Yeah. So I, I can talk about my perspective, I guess, from, you know, yeah. fresh off of step two studying. Totally. So I agree. Like all four of these choices are options. And I think that's what makes it a good question. Um, The way I was looking at it, so broad spectrum antibiotics, she could have a pneumonia, but I think that's a little less likely because even though she does have a cough, it's dry, which I presume means unproductive. And it says she doesn't have a fever, night sweats, or chills. Mm. So in my head, that moves it down a little bit. Sure. Um, But what about like, I mean, we know in in reality, sometimes patients with pneumonia or even any infection won't have a fever. No, I, I agree completely with that on in real life. That, that's it. That's what I was going to say. I, think, I was hoping you would say. <laughs> I mean, I only have one year of you know, clinical rotations under my belt, and I've seen that already. But I think when you think about these questions, I have to like, put myself into the kind of black and white. Like, if I'm looking for pneumonia, I'm looking for productive cough, fevers, chills, and a, chest you know, pain. those chest pain, those classic signs. Because... Like you said, it's definitely not like that in real life, but ideally the boards will be like that. So, and like you said, I think imaging of for not for choice B CT scan of the chest, imaging is a good choice, but I think that will be a little lower in my choices because you already know she has a plural effusion. So I don't think a CT scan would necessarily tell you anything else about the plural effusion. I could be wrong in that sense, but. I think that would be the next step if you're considering lung cancer, which she does have a big history of smoking. And then like you said, choice C, bronchoscopy, it seems pretty invasive. And I feel like I only hear about it in terms of foreign bodies, yeah. which I don't think this patient has at all. So, Oh, yeah. So you agree the bronchoscopy is kind of like the go-to kind of USMLE step two when it's the correct choice is foreign body. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. I did graduate med school, I suppose. Um, but I still, I'm, I'm stuck on CT of the chest versus the thoracentesis part of things. Yeah, so I agree. I think that's 
where they're trying to trip you up in this question, I would say the or test. They're trying to <laughs> test you. They're not trying to trip you up. Trying to test you. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it just um, feels like that. <laughs> yeah, it's very true sometimes. I think I would lean more towards thoracentesis because it's more it's a more rapid diagnostic step as opposed to CT scan as well. So I think that would make me pick that choice. So, I mean, you brought up a good point before, like the, you know, and in real life, you know, it may be this way on um, the board exams. It may be another way. So that is an experience I think we all are used to having as we study these sorts of things. I mean, certainly there are, there are instances in, in medical practice where I don't do the next step as, you know, in temporal sequence, what a, a board exam question would say. And, and I used to think as a med student, like, how could they do that? How could they depart from? But like a lot of things happen simultaneously in medicine. Yeah. Um, but I guess I'm still stuck because I want something that really convinces me as like a principal differentiator between when to get thoracentesis and when to get a CT of the chest. Like, because I, I mean, honestly, like here's a good real life example. This person's probably going to get a, a CT of the chest before getting a thoracentesis. I, I can imagine. Like, I, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, that is my inclination knowing how freely we order such scans. I, I think that's a good point. Like I, I don't have too much experience, but yeah, I could, I could see this person getting a CT scan as well. Let's think how, how on the tests, because we're also being taught or they're trying to assess whether or not we do know like the principles and like the black and whitedness of, of like medicine as a, a science, which I like to point out, it is not, even though it uses science, it is an art. The, kind of explanation here, I guess, points to maybe the purpose of whatever the next step in management is. So I guess that's a question I would ask. Like, if I were stuck between CT of the chest and thoracentesis, I'd I'd probably ask, what's the purpose of either of these tests too? So if I stop for a moment and actually think through these things, this might help me arrive at a conclusion that I should pick the thoracentesis is appropriate management. So what am I going to further by getting a CT of the chest? In this instance, I would say I'm going to get more information. And the question then becomes, does that information preclude me from doing some other action? For instance, the first step in managing a suspected stroke non-contrast CT of the head because you want to decide whether or not there's a hemorrhagic or ischemic event so that you don't end up giving fibrinolytics to a hemorrhagic stroke, correct? So if I have this diagnosis or this nebulous kind of clinical picture of a pleural effusion with this patient's presentation in the vignette, I can't think of a reason why getting a CT scan would be the appropriate management because I already know there's a problem, plural effusion that could be accounting for these other symptoms. Does that make sense as I think about this out loud? 
Yeah, I agree. The CT scan might give you more information about the extent of the pleural effusion, but yeah. you still know it's there. And I think at Thorne's synthesis, it's not only diagnostic, but it's you know therapeutic in a sense. It'll release the pressure, get rid of the fluid in the area, help yeah. the patient breathe better. Yeah, and maybe you know on an exam, my sense is that it may have been even more clear on an exam such that like maybe the patient were in more dire straits, like there was vital sign uh, changes or just more of a convincing picture she was about to crump. So yeah, you know, as I think about this, actually, I think you could get to thoracentesis even if you were stuck and you wouldn't necessarily have to be like looking for a principle that has the same weight and absoluteness of get a non-contrast CT of the head for suspected stroke. You know, it's not at that level, but hopefully that's clear and doesn't confuse people. But do you have other things to, to say about thoracentesis? Not really. I, I figured we could talk about maybe the next step after thoracentesis in the yeah. diagnostic sense. Yeah, please. So yeah, so just to further this question a little bit, after you get the thoracentesis, there's a couple things you could do to try and figure out what the underlying disease is. So I think the first step is LIGHTS criteria. I'm sure most medical students have heard that at some point during their schooling. Just to review that quickly. So when you're trying to think about LIGHTS criteria, you're looking at a couple things. You're looking at the protein in pleural fluid in the serum, LDH in the pleural fluid in the serum, and then you're comparing the two. So for protein, if the ratio between the plural and the serum is greater than 0.5, that satisfies light criteria. If that ratio for LDH is greater than 0.6, or the plural fluid is at least two-thirds of the upper limit of the serum LDH, the normal range, either of those satisfies light's criteria as well. Okay. And if you have a positive light's criteria that points you towards an exudative pleural effusion. Got it. And that, yeah, that makes sense. So essentially, the lights criteria are defining at what point too much protein or LDH in the plural fluid compared to the blood is too much. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So this question doesn't really delve into that. But you know, if a, if a question tried to ask you for the underlying diagnosis or underlying cause, differentiating between exudative and transudative pleural effusions gives you like a list of diagnoses in each category and you can narrow it down that way. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And probably the, the big exudative one would be infection and malignancy, right? Yeah. And in this okay. patient, you can make the argument that it could be a malignant pleural effusion based on our smoking history. Sure. But can't really know until you pop the chest with a needle. So. Yeah. Is that how they do it? I imagine. I, I've never... Or maybe I did, but it's been a while since I've seen a thoracentesis. Yeah, no, I haven't done it personally, but as a medical student, but I've seen it. Yeah. They just pop it with a scalpel or what a jab someone yeah, with a knife? Use a scalpel to make a little incision and they stick a, I'm not sure what the, the gauge of the needle is, but I think it's a decent size and they just drain the, drain the fluid. I think most institutions can use ultrasound at this point to help with the the actual procedure too. Makes sense. All right, there, first and second years. If you don't know how that procedure is performed, there you go. You have it from Pranay Bonagiri, our new host at large. 
So sorry to our listeners, but while we were recording this podcast, Patrick's power randomly went out. So we decided to conclude with that one question. Just to finish up, like I said, my name is Pranay Bonagiri. I'm a current MS Ford at Toro University, California. I'd like to thank you guys for listening. I am happy to be part of the team and to join Inside the Boards as one of the new podcasting hosts. If you guys have any questions for me or the podcast in general, please email podcast at insidetheboards.com. I hope to hear from you guys soon. Thanks.